18. We're rolling. We're in our last snapshot of ministry in Ephesus. Ephesus is the longest narrative in Acts on any of Paul's missionary stops. It's pretty significant. Here's how we're going to begin. The psalmist has a PhD in the psychology of the soul. Did you know that? Did you know that the psalmist knows the soul unlike any other human being that's ever lived? And it's designed that way because God designed it that way, right? To help us, to encourage us, uh, to help us find ourselves there. The Psalms cover comprehensively every desire, thought, emotion, state, being, uh, spiritual impulse, psychological direction, order, disorder. There ever has been and ever will be. It's all covered in the Psalter. Every full range of a human response, a human um, interaction, human life before God, before people, and before the world, it's all there. When you go to the Psalms, you find yourself. You find um, an explanation for what's going on with you. You get to find your voice in your heart. Uh, You find yourself before God and before others and before all of life everything under the sun internally inside of you and everything under the sun externally going on around you is in the Psalter. So that's why we say over and over again, whatever you're going through, find yourself in the Psalter. Find yourself in the Psalms. Let the Psalter find you. Okay? Now, So if the Psalter, which has this incredible breadth and width of the psychology of the soul, if it explicitly comes out and says, this is what you're like, it's time to pay attention, wouldn't you say? I mean, if the Psalter says, hey, this is what your spirit's like, this is what your heart's like, this is what you're like, I think it's really time to pay attention. So in Psalm 19, 119, this is what it says about you and me. You ready? Our hearts, are you ready? This is incredibly encouraging. Our hearts are unfeeling like fat. There you go. We have fatty hearts. And it's beyond high cholesterol and heart disease. We have jiggly, squiggly, blubbering, unfeeling hearts. Nobody wants a heart like that. You know what this passage does? It changes fatty hearts. It reaches in and energizes unfeeling hearts. It warms them. It renews them. It heals them. And you know how? With a good riot. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Acts 19, 21 through 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, 
Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed of her magnificence, from who all she who all Asia and the world celebrates. Worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is the Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with, with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of Asi- some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple keeper of the great Artemis, and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being, of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit, and we ask that you would shine on the page. We ask that you would move, uh, that you would give and grant. Uh, What is communicated, what is beautiful, what is powerful, what is lovely, what is life-changing in this text. And we acknowledge that you alone do this, and we look expectantly for you to work. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, has anyone ever been to the beaches of Wildwood, New Jersey, other than me? Oh, Nathan, very good, and his wife. Did I see another hand over there? Joe, anybody else? How about... Oh, man, Ray, you were there? Wow. Uh, How about on the 4th of July weekend? Oh, Joe, very good. Okay, so you know what I'm about to say. Everyone in the state of New Jersey and the city of Philadelphia goes to Wildwood, New Jersey on the 4th of July weekend. It's standing room only. You literally have to watch where you place your foot because you could step in places you don't want to step. People are everywhere. Um, Boardwalks, beaches, Water parks, amusement parks. Wildwood is the inspiration of many a Bruce Springsteen song. In college, I spent a summer there doing campus ministry, uh, doing outreaches, discipleship, and leadership training. On July 4th weekend, we did a slow motion football outreach. Anybody know what that is? Anybody seen that? Okay, it is a, it is a staged game of football, and you guessed it, in slow motion. 
Uh, there are some crazy guys, some dress up as Darth Vader, some dress up as a big baby with a big diaper and a big passy, others dress up like in Captain America, some dress up in uh, the Statue of Liberty for the all-important Statue of Liberty play. There are many, many ways that people dress up for this thing. And what you do is you go up and down the beach for about a mile one way, a mile in the other, and, and 15 crazily dressed men uh, going up and down the beaches, running, shouting, chanting chants. Uh, and yelling out, Maury's Pier, one o'clock, come see it, you know, and all that happening up and down the beach, and usually it attracts hundreds and hundreds of people. On the 4th of July weekend, it's, you know, how are we? We're into the thousands maybe. Um, On this particular day, though, we didn't know it, these 15 guys, but right before we got to Maury's Pier where we were going to do this outreach, uh, two gangs got in a fight. A knife was pulled, someone was stabbed, and the police were on their way. So we didn't know it, but we were entering a hot landing zone. (laughs) And here we come running, chanting, yelling and screaming, and dressed up like a bunch of freaks, right? And we knew, or I knew something was wrong when we came into that situation, and no one was smiling. Usually when we do this, I got all, we get all kinds of smiles and all kinds of, oh, what are these guys doing? Let's go see, right? No smiles. No smiles anywhere. And then the guy that we sent ahead to prep for us, to mark out the field, to get everything ready, when I got to the field, he's desperately looking at me and vigorously shaking his head and mouthing, no, no, don't do it, right? And then what really caught my attention uh, was the particular looks people were giving me, and I couldn't figure it out. What What is the deal? Oh, did I tell you how I was dressed? I was dressed as Conan the Barbarian. And I had this big, huge club. Everyone needs a good riot to get the blood pumping through the heart, right? It energizes you to get your heart feeling again. Here's the point of the riot that we're about ready to look at. Did you see how long that was? 21 verses. Again, a long account in the longest account in Acts, the city of Ephesus. So it's kind of strange. And here's the point about the riot at Ephesus. It's not a sign that something bad is happening. It's a sign that something really good is happening. Everyone needs a good riot. Here's the plan. We're going to observe the riot. We're going to look at what's going on. And then we're going to understand the riot. So it's one thing to see it and one thing to observe it. We're going to enter into it. Narrative is there to take you in. Narrative is there to say, come, come into the story with me. It's not meant to be read like a proposition. It's not meant to be blackboarded in structural Greek clauses of main lines and dependent lines. It is a story that's meant to be entered into. You're supposed to get into it. So we're going to observe it. We're going to enter into it. But then we're going to look below the surface of it and understand it. Why is it happening? And then the last thing we're going to do is we want God to make our hearts feel it. No fatty hearts here. We want to experience it. We want to feel it. All right? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to let it change us. So here we go. Observe the riot. What's going on here? Watch carefully. Here it is. Fear and anxiety is going on. The cold sweat kind of kind. Look at verses 24 and 25. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. (laughs) these he gathered together. So these are his employees or his contractors? Right, Rob Baker? Contractors. So with the workmen and similar trades, he says, men, you know that from this business, 
We have our wealth. This meeting is about losing wealth. It's about losing your career and your livelihood. Whenever we lose control of something we believe deeply we must have or we need, whenever that happens, it's traumatic. Fear stalks you. Anxiety just kind of rolls into your life like the rhythm of waves on the ocean and you don't know how to stop them. You just survive the first wave and then you get another one and you just try to catch your breath between the waves. What's going on here? Another thing, the effort to be in control is going on here. Do you see that? Specifically, what are they trying to control? Their wealth, their livelihood, what they know they need. Thus they have the meeting, thus the plotting. Do you see? They're plotting, they're meeting. Now many times, like here, our effort to control that which is not in control leads to controlling people's lives. That's why they're dragging Gaius and Aristarchus. Do you know how did you pronounce that name? I was like, gosh, finally someone can tell me how to read these things. I need her to read every time I get, can you just do my study? Tell me how to read the text and then I can figure out what these words mean. All right. It always involves effort, effort, usually efforts in trying to control our life involve trying to control other people. Do you notice that? So Gaius and this other guy are being dragged into the theater. They're being controlled. What's going on here? Friendship's going on here. Did you catch that? Verse 30, Paul wished to go in among the crowd. His friends are being dragged away, and Paul's saying, I'm going in. I'm not leaving them. Now, Paul knows what he's getting into. You know that. We've gone through Acts so far. How many riots have we seen? Every city he goes in, a riot starts. He knows what's going to happen. He knows there's going to be verbal abuse. He knows he's going to be torn to shreds verbally. He's going to be caned. He could be flogged. He could have stones thrown at him. He can be beaten, and he could be locked up uncomfortably where his back's contorted in a very filthy prison. And yet he goes anyway. Now that's a friend. Verse 30, but when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples wouldn't let him. Paul's held back by his friends. Even as friends that are wealthy um, politicians that are like, don't do it, Paul. Don't do it. What else is going on here? Racism. Do you see that? 33 and 34. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand because they're in the assembly, you're allowed to speak. That's one of the things about Greek Roman society. You can speak. Everyone has the liberty, the freedom to speak who's a Roman citizen. So he's waving his hand. I want to speak. Wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but when they recognized that he was a Jew... For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I mean, this is like the World Cup, right? 25,000 people can fit in that theater and they are screaming for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great, right? Can you imagine? That'll get the blood going. What's going on here? Well, the usual, politics, religion, sex, money, and a lot of weird stuff, right? 
The temple of Artemis has it all. It has, it has the sex. It has the religion. It has the politics. It has astrology. It has palm reading. It has the dark arts. It has sorcery. And personally, I really like the weird stuff. I want you to look at verse 35. And of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. I think this is the first documentation of alien sightings. Politics is all over the motives of the town clerk. He's not being a nice guy here. You, you think he's the hero, don't you? You're reading this. I know I did when I first read it. I go, what a guy. I mean, incredible. He's not being a good guy. He's being a savvy politician because his hope in life is his power and influence because the city clerk has the most power in a district under the Roman Empire. And he knows that Rome takes very seriously Pax Romana, Roman peace. Civic disorder gets you fired or worse. So he's just trying to maneuver to keep his power and his position, right? What's going on here? The last thing to see, a tsunami of confusion and insecurity. The text mentions confusion twice. That's always a big deal. Anytime repetition happens, huge deal. Atmospherically, it says the city in verse 29 was filled with it. So people are drowning in confusion and insecurity. And then the camera rolls on the ground, takes you into the theater, and it gives you a conversation, and it kind of moves, and it's going with the crowd. It's like, you know, watching live TV today. And here's the conversation. It's almost comical. Verse 32, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them there did not know why they had come together. But everybody likes a good crowd. Overall, what are we supposed to see or observe about this riot? Right? We're supposed to observe it. So what are we supposed to see? Here's what we're supposed to see, I think. Riots reveal real life. This is the stuff of real life in here. You can insert, and I can insert myself any place in this riot and find myself there. You can see yourself there. You can find yourself there. You can find the interactions in your life in there, the riot is meant to reveal life as it is in reality for you and me. Also, it's meant to do this. Riots reveal us. Many times, it takes a riot to show us what we're really like. Many times, we are blind to the need to change in our life and it takes a riot to unblind us to the stuff going on in our life that needs to change. So riots are a gift from God. They show us and reveal to you and me, here's where you need to change. If we pay attention to them. So what riot is going on in your life is it with your career? Is it with a relationship? Uh, is it with a real severe stress? Is it something going on internally with you? What is your riot? The riot is designed by God to show you where you need to change. Follow it. Okay. Let's understand the riot. Why the riot? Why is it going on? Let's look at the riot again, all right? It's fascinating the Bible spends so much time on it. 
It's incredible to me. Uh, and it's really incredible. It's, it's spending so much time not recording the desires, the thinking, the emotions, the ministry, the actions of Paul. Or even Gaius and the other guy. In fact, it's spending so much time recording the desires and the thinking and the emotion and the conversation and the thoughts and the actions of an unbelieving silversmith named Demetrius and a politically savvy clerk that no one knows his name. I mean, look at that. This passage is all about them. The longest passage in the Ephesian account is on these two guys. It's all about them. In other words, this passage is all about a certain kind of way to live a life their way. This passage is about the way of Demetrius and the clerk who represent all of Ephesians. Here's how they live a life. And what is that way? What is the way of life for the Ephesians? The way is the goddess of Artemis. I know we hear that and we're like, okay, I can take a snooze now because this isn't about me. We're going to talk about some relic. I beg to differ. And the text begs to differ. It's all about us. You ready? The goddess is named Artemis. First, this is the most widely followed god in the Greco-Roman Empire. The most widely. Now, remember, they have a pantheon, so they have lots of gods. They, I mean, irreligious civilizations and communities really get the human heart. They know that we're always putting up gods. We do it all the time. Calvin said it, right? The heart is always manufacturing idols, always manufacturing something to hope in, trust in, save them, right? All right, so the goddess is named Artemis. Now the Romans called her Diana because she makes people Artemis. You know what that means? She makes people safe and sound, she gives you and me and gives the Ephesians what everybody is looking for and everybody is longing for, a secure, satisfied life. I mean, if the Old Testament writer would come in, he'd say, oh, you're looking for shalom, wholeness, completeness, everything the way it's supposed to be, a heart that is filled and full of the stuff of living in a deep, penetrating security that runs through everything a person is and does. They operate out of a solid sense of security and significance of who they are, what life is about, and where they're going. So she was a virgin who helped children at childbirth. She was a huntress armed with a bow. She was the goddess of death. She was the protector of Ephesians, the city. She was their security and their welfare. She wore the zodiac necklace. You know why? Because it showed that she had authority and power over the stars and everything under them. In other words, she had what everybody wanted, which was someone to control their life. Someone who controlled all of life's events. Someone who had the power and the control to actually give security and give satisfaction and make life okay. 
That's why her name and image was on the coins and the official documents in the empire, or in Ephesians. She was the one who blessed and the blessing itself. This is why there are 33 shrines to her in the ancient world, the largest in Ephesus, four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens that we looked at. This is one of the seven wonders of the world. Seats 25,000 people, uh, 60-foot pillars. The overall structure is larger than a football field. The goddess Artemis was their way to live. The goddess Artemis gave them their salvation. The goddess Artemis was their savior. All right, let's experience the riot. You ready? Let's feel the riot. Let the riot change us. The ending is really, really weird. Do you see that? I mean, look at verse 41. And when he, the city clerk, had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, what did I just read? <laughs> what did we just read? No midnight praising, no midnight singing, no midnight earthquake, no midnight revival like in the Philippian jail. Not even in the first snapshots of ministry that go on in Ephesus. There's no powerful ministry of this rarely gifted person called Apollos. That wasn't even there. There wasn't the reaching of these 12 clueless people that the gospel reaches clueless people. None of that. Like the second snapshot in Ephesus. There's no all of Asia being reached through a tyrant's lecture hall. Like the third snapshot in Ephesus. And then, you know, one of the favorites we saw last week, the power encounters where God beats naked supernatural bad people. Like the fourth ministry snapshot. There's no good ending here. There's no God ending here. There's no redemptive solution here. He simply dismisses the crowd. Okay, people, it's time to go. And the crowd says, oh, okay. And they go home. Next. It's more stunning than that, though. What's incredibly shocking about this whole passage is God is not mentioned at all. Silence. Nothing. Missing in action for 20 verses. 20 long verses without God. And that's the point. To experience this text, to enter into it, you have to dig deeper. You have to dig deeper into the text and you've got to dig deeper than the surface of your life. You have to go down to the hidden place of the human heart. We have to look deeper for God's hidden work and it's all over the passage. It's why the riot happened in the first place. Do you see that? I mean, why did the riot ultimately happen? Because so many people, a complete multitudes and multitudes of people, so many people were having miraculous heart changes. And because their hearts were changing, their lives were changing, and it was, what's happening here? And it threw the whole place in turmoil. Everything turned upside down because a hidden work of God as he was moving into people's lives as the resurrected, ascended, reigning champion saying, I will build my church. I will seek and rescue and save the lost. 
The riot happened because so many people had a miraculous heart change. The whole culture, the whole ethos of the city, you know, there's a lot of talk about changing communities and changing culture. Ephesus changed. Its whole culture changed because hearts changed. Ephesus became the most reached city on the planet, the most Christianized city in the Roman Empire. Perhaps that's why the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians is the second most popular book in the Bible behind Romans, Ephesians. So where do we see God's hidden work in this passage? Did you find it? I mean, the most transformed place on the planet is here, where is this stuff happening? Well, look in verse 26. Now, this is from Demetrius's own mouth. He's going to tell you what exactly was causing people to change. He's going to tell you what was persuading people to leave Artemis. You ready? Here it is. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. There it is. Do you realize this? This is, if we deeply realize this, in our heart, we change. If you're looking for change, if you want your heart to change, if you're like, oh God, where are you? Oh God, would you reach me? Oh God, would you help me? Here's how he does it. It's right here. This is the reason the greatest revival in the ancient world outside of Pentecost, which was a religious world. This is the irreligious world. Up to this point, the reason why is because multitudes and multitudes of people were saying, the goddess of Artemis cannot save me. Artemis is not my security. It's not my happiness. Artemis is an empty security. Change. The people in Ephesus and Asia were experiencing what's called a deep spiritual change. You could call it a new birth. It's called in other places. For Christians, it's called a renewal or a healing of the heart, a progressive work that God does, his hidden work in the heart through what Christ has done and through the internal work of the Holy Spirit. That's a lot right there. That's, that's theology. That's what we do on Wednesday nights and we do here. Um, it went something like this. They were having this transforming sp- uh, experience. It was like a deep spiritual aha. It's like, you know, the lights go on. It's like, ah, oh, it was clear to the mind and it was real to the heart. And it went something like this. You can just imagine, you can picture multitudes and multitudes of Ephesians doing this. Some going, wealth, land, material security, economic prosperity cannot save me. It's empty security. You can picture other people doing this, having children, especially sons in a society like that. Whether you're a father or your mother, you could, a husband or a wife saying, man, having children, especially sons, cannot save me. It's an empty security. And then if you're a woman, you might add some of this to it. Having children, especially sons, 
to get my husband's love and attention cannot save me. It's an empty security. Others may be saying this, and this was a lot of people in those days. We've seen them. It's kind of like our culture today. Sexual conquest, sexual pleasure cannot save me. It's an empty security. You know where the men found that? Multiple wives, polygamy. And then they added concubines. You know what concubines were? Sex slaves. Then you had all the cult systems of all the gods that were there, and they had temple prostitutes. I mean, we, we, I was going to say something bad. (laughs) We moan um, about the sexual culture of our society. The ancient world rivals or exceeds us. So it's nothing new. It's nothing new. Others probably would say because of the traditional part of the society there would say the honor of my family, making my family proud cannot save me. It's an empty security. Gods made with hands are not gods is deeply persuasive. So how do we end this thing? Here's how we're going to end. Um, Artemis's sacred stone, verse 35, I love this. Artemis's sacred stone might have fallen from the sky like a meteor or an alien spaceship. You take your pick. I like the spaceship angle more than the meteor. You know how the book of Acts begins? This is really fascinating. So Artemis has fallen from the sky. You know how the book of Acts begins? Jesus rising, ascending the sky. All away into heaven, he wears the zodiac. He controls king, champion over everything, the stars and everything under it. He is the king. He's security itself. He's pleasure and beauty and satisfaction himself. He's the king who now reigns over us, rules us, rescues us, changes us by the power of his death and his resurrection. Jesus is a scent is Artemis's fall. And it's the same thing that happens today for you and me. You want your heart to change. Jesus has to ascend spiritually in your life. In other words, the reality of him ascending means that he has now dethroned all competition in your life. It's done. So live it and believe it. Work it out. So where, where are the riots in your life? Those are gifts from God. He's saying, hey, here's what I want you to see about you. You need to change in this area. This is a gift from me. And then when that happens, you start seeing it. Oh, and, and, and now you begin to see, okay, you say to the Artemises in your life that are discovered in your riots, and you say to them, you cannot save me. You're not my security. You're an empty security. 
And then you look at the ascended one and you say, you saved me. You're my security. You're my salvation. 